Can I start off this morning with some bad news? <laughs> the bad news is it's, uh, it's cold and flu season. Amen? Oh, wow, we got an amen. I didn't get any amens from the first service on that one. It's cold and flu season, and, and there's this really common cold going on right now. It starts in the back of your throat, like it really irritates, and then it goes really heavy into your sinuses, might have some coughing. I had that one. I had that one already. I'm already starting in the season. I will tell you what, I've never produced that much snot in my life over three weeks. I know it's really graphic, but hang with me here. It's like, my goodness, I was like, put me on an IV. I've never seen so much snot. And it's like, not that I was measuring it, but it's like that cold. And I was just, and so like, but like Saturday, all of a sudden my nose was like, fine. It's like, well, amen. But I think, I always think about in the, all of our technology and all the ability that we have in the world is like, why can't we still find a cure for the common cold? And then I ran into this, literally, I ran into this article, and it's like, good news, a medicine has been discovered, actually in 2008, that actually cures the common cold. Good news. It not only, yeah, it's, it cures the common cold, it's called, see you heard this, Miracle Mineral Supplement, Miracle Mineral Supplement, how many of you bought that? Anyone. Miracle came out in 2008. Not only did they discover it cured the common cold, but since it was an antiviral, they found out it cured as it expanded, it cured HIV. And then they saw impact that it covered cancer too. And then it, this actually expanded globally. This stuff was amazing. I, I, it was like amazing. And then as it hit Africa, they found out, man, it's curing malaria, hepatitis, and then right when COVID-19, this is the thing. And none of you got it. Because the good news became bad news pretty quick. It was another false claim snake oil. Man, this one got a lot of traction around the world. They found out the main ingredient was industrialized bleach. Harmed a lot of people. Some people are in prison today because of it. It's like, there we go again. Another time where it's like the good news, there's finally a cure, and it just blows up. Did we know that there actually is a cure to all these things? And, and this cure is so much bigger. I don't mean to downplay cancer and things like that, but this is so much bigger than a cold or COVID-19 or cancer or hepatitis or whatever. This thing cures from a much bigger scale. So you're like, well, where, where do we get that? Is that at Dylan's? It's pharmacy? It's on Amazon, right? You can get anything on Amazon. I think I got Amazon Pharmacy. No. No, it's not in either one of those places. It's in you and me. It's in you and me. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Westview Community Church. We're glad you're all here. Welcome to those online. For our guests, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor, and we're so glad you're here, too. Uh, hey, on these, Jack went over, our, our worship leader went over this, this our worship guide. Uh, there's these sermon notes. We're all going to God's Word together. They're on the back. Um, but on the front, there is one announcement I want to make sure I hit. Christmas Eve services. This is an important one. All these are important, but this is a big one. Uh, we will uh, have Christmas Eve services on that Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m., our normal Sunday times. Thank 
thank you all. We had a huge response to the survey because, you know, it doesn't fall on Sunday very often. We always do it in the afternoon or evening. But thank you. We are going to do that based on the responses at 9 and 10.30. So write that in your calendar. Christmas Eve services here, Sunday, 9 and 10.30 a.m. And away we go. Again, sermon notes here on the back. We are in this series called Jesus Culture. We're getting close to the end of it here a couple more weeks. Uh, this, this whole sermon series kind of gives you a thematic view of Paul who planted all these churches on his missionary journey. And in the letters, so the, the book of Acts describes those journeys, but then the letters he wrote to them all later as they were struggling with the dominant culture narrative and trying to embrace the Jesus narrative or the Jesus culture. And those two things were at odds. So when you look at all these letters he wrote, they're commonly dealing with that issue is here's the world trying to get in and here's what the church should be, what we call the Jesus culture. And so uh, we went through Saul becoming Paul, the religious culture. In Galatians, we talked about the legalistic culture. In Thessalonians, we talked about trying to mix our old culture with the new Jesus culture. And last week, we were in Corinth, that whole letter, and showing the divisiveness inside Corinth and what happens when that's impacted by the Jesus culture. And so you can go back and watch all those on our YouTube channel or catch them on our website. But this week, we're going to go into the book of Romans. So I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. It's towards the end of your Bible in the New Testament, Romans chapter one, and before we go into this together, would you bow your heads and let's pray for extra help. Holy Spirit, we pray to you that uh, as we go into the word, that only you illuminate it, only you cast light on it, and then it casts light on us. So we're asking Holy Spirit to allow ourselves to have light cast on our hearts and show us where we need to change, that this Jesus culture floods our hearts and that we're the church Christ that you have called us to be. And so let us know that this story isn't something foreign to us. This is our heritage. This Bible is our story, and we are completing that story. We are that gap as we head towards the book of Revelation. We are continuing the story. And so let's learn from the ancient words. Let's put them into the current context together, and let's all leave changed for the better. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. So <clears throat> we aren't going to go into the book of Acts because there really isn't much showing this journey here, but Romans chapter one, Rome, this, this letter is written uh, to the Roman Christian church. So it is in Rome. Rome is not a Roman city. Rome is the Roman city. Rome is the epicenter of everything in Roman life. Roman culture ruled the world through their military conquests, but this was the epicenter of all legislation, all thought. Everything is in Rome, and so Paul writes this letter to them, to the Roman church uh, that's, that's, that's in the midst of that epicenter, starting in Romans 1, verse 1. It says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ, Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. So I love how he starts out, Paul says, he doesn't say, this letter is from Paul, an amazing Pharisee, uh, one of the most educated guys around the world, or the best church planner in the world. It says a slave, or your version might say servant. Both are the same. I'm a servant of Christ. That's how, he, that's how he sees himself. It's beautiful how it even starts. This is written from Paul. I'm just, I'm just a servant of Christ. And he has one, one mission here. My mission, and you see this throughout all his letters, my mission is all about the good news. That is my job, the good news. 
And what I think is really interesting when we look at those word good news is like this is not a new concept to the people in Rome. The Greek word for good news is evangelion. Where you get the word evangelize. Evangelion is a Greek word that just means good news. But this is a Roman phrase. As a matter of fact, there's an inscription that's been discovered. It shows about Caesar Augustus. Remember, Augustus was Caesar when Jesus was born. It says, the birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of the good news that came through him to the world. Good news was a Roman concept. Good news normally meant is about Caesar. Good news means if you worship Caesar, he'll promise prosperity and peace if you worship him. So good news was a fairly common. Anytime they heralded something about Caesar, it was good news. But what most people found out eventually is it's not the good news. It's not the cure-all. In a nation that lives by excess and intelligence and war, it turned out to be snake oil too. Now I want to show this good news. Let me show you all Paul's missionary maps. There's, there's three and there's a fourth one I want to show, but I am going to use my, I got a new laser pointer. It's really cool. It's got a big dot. So for those of you online, hang with me. I'm going to work off this screen here on the west, on the, my right, your right. So here's Paul's first missionary journey. And so he started in Antioch. Antioch is kind of the hub church. It is this amazing little church in Syria. He takes off there, goes down through Cyprus, comes up here, and he's really in this area of what we call Asia, Asia Minor. And this is his first journey, building and starting the churches, uh, sharing the good news all through here. And then he kind of blasts back to Antioch and makes a trip down to Jerusalem there too. That's his first journey, but it's kind of a small area where he completes and shares the good news in all these areas. Now let's go to the second journey. <laughs> For those of you online, we're starting all the way to the right here. We're in Antioch again. That's where he starts. He zips through Asia Minor and so forth, kind of connecting with the churches they planted there. And then he comes over here, all the way into Macedonia and Achaia. And so Philippi and Thessalonica, we talked about those letters in Corinth last week. Here is on the second journey that he's coming through there, sharing the good news over here to Ephesus and then back down to Jerusalem and back to his planting or sending church of Antioch. That's his second journey. Let's go to his third one. Again, he's sharing the good news wherever he goes. The third journey starts in Antioch again, back again through Asia Minor, zips back over to, uh, to, the, to the area of Macedonia and the same churches, stopping back in. Ephesus comes down and then heads down to Jerusalem. All those places, by walking in boat, sharing the good news. Oh, he's doing is sharing the good news. Now I want to share with you, he had a fourth trip. We don't call it a missionary journey, but this is actually when he, when he, when he was uh, imprisoned and so forth. And anyway, he comes over here, takes a long trip, and actually ends up in Rome. But he's actually writing this letter in his third missionary journey. He's writing this letter to Rome. He hasn't been there yet. He's writing this letter from Corinth. So this letter that we're going in today. We're only going to be in chapter one because the main theme is there that kind of talks about everything in the Bible. That just kind of gives you, when Paul says, my job is a good news, that's all the places he took the good news. All right. So, when he's going around talking about the good news, he is talking about a very countercultural message. He said the good news is not about Caesar. The good news, your first sermon note, is about Jesus. The good news is about, he said, the Son of God, Jesus. He is our King, He is our Messiah. This is so countercultural, especially in Rome. The heart of where Caesar is the emperor to be worshipped 
He says, but I've got a different king. I've got a different savior. I've got a Messiah to worship that will cure everything and everything else count on it for failing. He won't. And so this is kind of like, okay, it's good news, but what does good news really mean to us? What does good news mean? So he starts to build that here. Let's go on to verse 13b, the second part of verse three. It says, in his earthly life, Jesus was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. So look at this, he's saying, for one, there's kind of a connection here that King David's family line, that would have been important to the Jewish people that are hearing this message. He was shown to be the son of God. He was shown to be the promise. He was shown to be the one who, who, who died on a cross and by the power of God and the Holy Spirit was risen from the dead. He conquered death and he's our Lord. Worthy of worship. And Paul says, my job, the apostle's job is to fire up the church everywhere about the good news so all will believe. That they will believe as a church and that the world will know and they will believe too. Paul says, it's my main job. So let's continue on, verses, verse six. And you, Roman Christian church, are included among the Gentiles who've been called to belong to Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of you, all of you. See how many times you hear the word everywhere, all, everybody, all, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So Paul's writing this about 57 AD and he's writing, you notice there's a lot of reference to Gentiles here. I think it's kind of interesting because this is 57 AD when he writes it. Just in 48, 49 AD, Claudius Caesar expelled every Jew out of Rome. So the church was started there and, and Claudius Caesar rises up and he kicks every Jew out of Rome leaving only the Gentile believers in the church. And so there's a lot of emphasis on the Gentiles but during this time of Paul writing this letter the Jewish people are starting to migrate back in. And so there's some tensions with that some difficulties as they navigate that. But what's amazing here is what he told every Gentile believer is he said he didn't say I want you to love God he said you are loved by God. It starts with God. Everything starts with God. If Paul was standing right here with me, he would say, Westview, you are loved by God. Don't miss this. And this book shows how far his love will go, especially through his son, Jesus. So be encouraged. You are, do you believe that? You are loved by God. And in their time with persecution and everything, that's kind of a big message. But let's jump down to verse 16. Verse 16 and 17 are kind of two really important verses, really throughout the, old, the whole New Testament. And Paul writes this, he says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish just by faith. 
As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So what we love about the book of Romans is that our doctrine of salvation, how we are saved, is really written so deeply in Romans and no more deeply than just in verse 16 and 17. We see so much in those two verses. I want you to put your finger, if you're on your electronic version, if you're there at home, uh, you have a Bible out in front of you, put your, put your finger on 16 and 17 because we'll keep, we're gonna kind of break it down into three pieces. What does this good news mean? And so the first statement, this is your second sermon note, the good news is for all. All. Everybody. All is all. There is no exclusion in all. It's all. It's for everyone. And he says Jew first and Gentile. And some people use this for priority or whatever. I think there's a lot of different beliefs about this. But what I commonly think is the same thing that Paul experienced all the time. When he got to each city, he met with the synagogue first and the Jews. Because all he had to do was say, you're waiting on this Messiah? He was here. This is what he did. He was just connecting the dots. But when he got to the Gentiles, he had to tell them everything. Here's the God of creation. Here's the whole story. Here's what he's done through this. But always the Jews first because let's get them on board so we have more, more people, more, more, more authority in the church to move the gospel. And Gentiles, all are important. All are important. And I segue a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't take rabbit trails like this, but as we deal with, as we look at the Israel-Palestine issue going on right now, and we see, hey, come behind them, come behind this. No, the gospel is for all. The problem in Israel today is that the Jews don't know Christ and the Palestinians don't know Christ, and when there's no Christ, there's no peace. There's just darkness. The lives being taken are the gospel lives. All of them are worthy of the gospel. All of them need to hear. Pray for the Christians and the Palestinian Christians and the Masonic Jews who are sharing the gospel. That's where things will change. It's for all. And we go to the news and we see something that separates somebody out not worthy. Don't do that. Everyone, the good news is for all. So the good news is for all. Three things when we say it's for all. It's for all who are rescued from sin. That's the first thing. Jesus is our savior. He rescues us from sin. This sin separates us from our relationship with God and it damages our relationship with others. That's what sin does. The good news saves us from that. It rescues us from that. Everybody, all, Everybody needs rescued. Everybody in this room needed rescued to be a Christ follower. You had to be rescued first. So the analogy I love is, or think back to days as a flight paramedic, <laughs> is this is a rescue helicopter that's coming in. If I can give you just a vision. And there's a rope dangling down. This helicopter can go anywhere and get to anybody. And it's dropping a rope down, and into that rope is Jesus, and he's got a handout. The rescue is here. He's hanging on into that rope with a handout right where you're at, saying, grab on. The rescue is here. So the good news is for all, the rescue is here through Christ. Second note, the good news is all who are justified by faith. Justified is a big word that says made right or saved. We are saved by faith. So when that rescue helicopter is over you and Jesus is on the end of the line extending a hand down, you have to grab on. You have to respond to the love and grace and what he's done to you. 
And so we're made right. We are saved by faith. Faith is not what we did. We couldn't rescue ourselves. Faith is simply saying, I'm grabbing on. I have enough trust and enough faith that you are the answer. And so you grab on. And you're justified or saved by grabbing on and trusting he is my savior. Remember this, we cannot save ourselves. None of us can. Third, the good news is for all who are set free by salvation. Not only is the rescue over you, not only does it just require faith to reach out and grab on to the hand of Christ, when you grab on, he pulls you up, you are set free. What are we set free from? We're set free from the wrath of God. We're set free that his wrath will come on anybody who rejects and will be separated from him the final day. We're separated from that wrath for those who choose not to love him. We're set free also from the penalty of sin. Before sin, there was no death. There was no... The damage and the penalty of sin were set free from. We might still have consequence from it, but we're set free from the penalty. The other thing we're set free from is the impossibility of the law. If you go to the Old Testament and I, and I would go to sacrifice for my family's sins and I'd sacrifice something to say, God, this is what we did. Here is, here is a response to that. And then I leave from that sacrifice and a cart or a chariot cuts me off and I give them a bad gesture. I've sinned again and all of a sudden I'm back under, right? It was impossible. And Jesus says, you don't have to sacrifice today because I sacrificed for you once and for all. So I've been set free from the impossibility of the law. And fourth, we've been set free from the finality of death. Our faith in Christ means that when our death comes, it's not a period. It's not the end of the story. It is a transition to something brand new. That's a lot to be set free from. The good news is the rescue's here. It just requires grabbing on and it will be set free. That's for you and me and everybody. Does everybody got a kind of a grip on the good news? Why it's so important? Why Paul says this is my thing? Okay. I could have got one amen. Can you get your arms around it? Amen. Okay. Paul writes seven powerful words. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. Because it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. Paul writes this letter to say, I'm not ashamed, but Paul constantly talks about his example. Church, don't be ashamed. Here's the Jesus culture in the church. Don't be ashamed of the good news. And so there we are. Sermon note three. The Jesus culture is not ashamed of the gospel. Oh man, why this is so important because we live in a time where church has kind of been distorted that it's more about me than it's about the gospel. The church has become in the Western world more about, hey, if I come here, I get this. It has a consumer mentality and it has an individual mentality that if I come and get this, check in for an hour, check out on Sunday, I'm good. I'm good. 
but my life never reflects the gospel. It came about what I came to get instead of worshiping the one I love. And we want to push back on that all the time. Be careful. This isn't something we come get. It's what we come to do to worship the one, and out of that, we get a lot. That's not why we're here. The Jesus culture, the church's culture, is not ashamed. So then it's like, well, how do I know if I'm ashamed? You ready for this? I, I, I looked for a lot of answers on this, and I think it kept coming down to the same answer over and over and over. How do I know if I'm ashamed? My question is, have you shared the gospel this week? Have you shared the gospel this month with somebody? And I'm not saying, hey, my life's got Jesus going. I'm just a great reflection of him. I'm saying intentionally shared the good news of Jesus and how it changed your life. Have we done that? If we haven't or we aren't, we might be ashamed. Probably are. So like, well, I don't feel ashamed. Let me show you three areas I think might drill down on this a little bit. How do I know if I'm ashamed? First one. First one is I might be ashamed. I'm not sharing the gospel because of my own sin life, right? I'm stuck in sin or I did something a long time ago and I haven't dealt with that. And so who am I? Who am I to share the gospel with somebody else? And can I tell you, if that is the way you feel, if that is the way you feel, which is a legitimate response of being ashamed, it's because the gospel has not penetrated your heart enough to know that you've been set free. The forgiveness that comes in Christ to let go, you have been set free. So the gospel has not penetrated our own heart to say, you've been rescued, you've been saved, you've been set free, live like it. And if you're still struggling with that, write on this connect card, catch us afterwards, say, it might be something I need to confess, it might be somebody I need to forgive, or be forgiven. Let us walk with you so you can truly be set free by the gospel. That's the first one. Second one. I might be ashamed of the gospel because of my schedule. I just don't have the time. We are one of the busiest cultures ever recorded in history. And, and the issue here, the cause of this is, it's, it's, I guess I'm not ashamed, I just don't have time. And what's the reality here is the gospel has not penetrated our heart enough to make it a priority, right? It hasn't penetrated our heart enough to make it a priority. Like, is there anything more important? I have in me the light of Christ, a cure for anybody's problems, a cure that beats anything that can hit us in life. It is in me. It's not what I do, but it is Christ in me in that light. Why not make that a priority when so many people need it? Is there a bigger priority? I told first service, I want to debate sitting down on the edge. Just give me one. I'll write them down. Give me a bigger priority than the good news. Because this is the power to save. So how do I fix that? Let the gospel penetrate my heart and reprioritize my day to what's most important. Everything I do in my day can be worship. Everything in my day, where my job takes me, everything can be a way of linking to people all through who do not know the gospel of Christ. Let it be everything I do is worship 
and let it release in me and prioritize that this is the most important thing I'll do today, sit and talk with somebody. Right? Third, this one stings a little bit, but another reason we might be ashamed is we're just selfish. And what I mean by that is like, hey, you know Jesus? He came and he saved me, I'm good. He saved me and I'm good. The problem here is that the gospel has not penetrated our heart enough to release the grace that's been given to us. So everything that God did through Christ is grace coming at us, is his love coming at us. Grace, what happens is my heart becomes a pond of grace. It's designed to be a river of grace. That every grace that I get flows through me to others. But no, I got Jesus, I'm good. I got a lot to do today. But it's selfishness. Our hearts are designed to be rivers, not ponds. We're designed to move from selfishness to selflessness. Our culture has enough selfishness. The Jesus culture is selfless. And so how do I fix that? How do I, how do I let the gospel penetrate this hard heart, crack it open, become a river of grace, reflect on everything that Jesus has done for me, reflect on how much God's love for me, go to his word and see his relentless overpowering love for me and look at the ability of what he can do through me I can change lives through his power nothing that I do but what he chooses guys church is God's plan A for the good news it's the church it's the church so here's a quote. I actually quoted myself. This is fun. <laughs> to not be ashamed is to allow the gospel truth to penetrate our hearts so that others can see its changing power. Like not only has it changed my life, not only do I have joy and peace, it has nothing to do with my circumstances. I care about so much, I can't wait to tell you about it. Amen. I can't shut up about it. The gospel is a good news for all. All is all. There are no exclusions in that. Why is this so important? Let me drill down to Manhattan. When we leave out of here today, two-thirds of the people we encounter will not know Christ as their Savior in a way that changes their lives. Two-thirds of the people you encounter, man, in Manhattan's 50,000 people, what's the math? 30 some thousand people in this community are not in a place of worship. They might know who Jesus is or believe in him, or I'm sorry, know who he is, but they don't never have entered into a relationship, a life-changing relationship. They've watched him hover around in a helicopter. They believe he's there. Two-thirds, two-thirds of everybody we walk by I ask God to grace me when I drive to work and, and Seth Childs is full of cars. I, I joke with him, say, can you put a halo over every car that knows you? He's never done that. But I have to imagine that'd be very few cars. And we have the greatest hope of light inside each one of us. We have the cure. And so our last note, it can seem big, two-thirds, my goodness, 30,000 people. Everybody starts with somebody, Right? Don't think of how big the task is. Think of what he has called me to do with one. Everybody 
the gospel is for starts with somebody. You think 30-some thousand is bad? You go around the globe, five to six billion people do not know Christ. There's only eight. Can I say it one more time? That's how big the task is. Five to six billion people do not have a relationship with Christ that changes their life. There's only eight billion on the planet. Have you heard the verse, the road is narrow? But that's not an excuse to sit at home. Church, everybody starts with somebody. What happens if 350 of us go out today and we share the gospel this week? 350 of us. We're not talking one. We're talking life change through all of us because we're not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power to save you and give you life. So how do I do that? How do I do that? Brian, how does this like, okay, so one, get enrolled in any of one of the small groups that we have that are like unoffendable or the engagement project or holy conversations. They all equip you to manage and navigate this on how do I share the good news. But for today, I would say this is how we navigate it. This is as I walk through the world starting today in my little sphere of influence I want you to listen to the sound of rotors. The rescue helicopter overhead. See, we don't bring Jesus to anybody. He's way ahead of us. But listen where the helicopter is. You'll know it because the Holy Spirit will tell you and join him there. Join him there where the rescue's happening. Go in there and tell him the good news. You know how you tell him the good news? Let me tell you about Jesus and how much he's changed my life. And then you just grab their hand and you connect it to his hand and the rescue's on. Your story makes a difference. And then what happens when they grab onto that hand and they hold on for dear life? They're rescued. They're saved. They're set free. Is there any other larger priority in our life? We thought this would be an amazing time to celebrate communion. And let me explain why. Servers, would you join me at the tables? The light of Christ. Amen? That's in each one of us. That's why we light the candle to remind us the light of Christ. Communion is a time where we remember and celebrate the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. We come to this table. We get up out of our seats. We come to the table together, together, invited and reminded that we have been rescued. We've been saved. We've been set free. That's why we come to this table. Because those three things... of any service this is the most important time because of what we remember here if you're a guest with us all are welcome to participate who know Christ as their Lord and Savior but I'm going to throw this caveat out. if you haven't made that decision today and he draws you to come and join in please do but please ask us afterwards what did he draw me into 
because his grace is always drawing us to the table. I don't want to stop that. But please ask for what he's doing in your life. I'm going to stop talking in a second, but when I do in this music, I want you to start in the front rows, come up. We have these amazing servants. We're going to give you a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And we ask you to take it back to your seat and wait just a second because we're really important we take this together as one body. And during that time when you're in line or in your seat or sitting back there with the elements, I want you to reflect on, I've been rescued, I've been saved, I've been set free in Christ. And then we'll take together. Let's worship together in communion.
you hold this piece of bread up with me? This piece of bread symbolizes Jesus' body, which was given or sacrificed for us. He is the bread of life. In 1 Corinthians, it reads on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to his closest friends, and he says, this is my body, which is given for all of you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. This bread is a sacrifice, paying a penalty that you and I could not pay. We take this remembering, the rescue is on. Take it with me. Would you lift up the cup with me? This juice symbolizes the blood of Christ. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, in the same way Jesus took a cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant, a new agreement between God and his people. An agreement, Jesus says, confirmed with my blood. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. This blood, sorry, this juice symbolizes the blood of Christ shed for us. Why? So we could be forgiven. Why? So we could be saved and set free. Let's take remembering that. Because of Jesus, we're not ashamed of the good news. Amen? Amen. I know some of those things I shared with you were kind of tough, maybe a little hard, a little pointed. Remember Paul's missionary maps? I showed all the places he went to good news, right? There's a reason for that. Look on the back wall back there. And for those of you online, you're going to have to bear with me. We can send a picture. On that back wall is a map. Every red pin represents where people in our church have shared the good news of Jesus. So Brian's not coming down on you. What we want is every heart set free to keep putting more pins on that map. We want to be, all of us, unashamed of the gospel. And we've taken the moment as we go over Paul's missionary journeys, God works, that's amazing what God's doing through here, but we also take this time to highlight our missionaries who are people from our church sent around the world. Two of them, Rosvan and Alyssa and their sons, Emmerich and Ellis, are in Romania. They've completed one year. They are us in Romania, sharing the good news wherever they go. I'll let them tell the story. They wrote this message for you today. Good morning, Westview. Brian asked us to make a video for your worship service this morning and although it would be so much better to be there in person with you all we're glad that we can send this video and worship the Lord together with you. Last month we celebrated one year back in Romania and uh, it's hard to summarize an entire year especially the past year in just a few words and a few minutes on a video but we're going to do our best to put towards some of what we went through and to recount some of God's faithfulness over the past year. I have this habit of praying each morning that the Lord would give me joy and peace in Him and not my circumstances. And it's something I've been praying for years and something I am still learning. And over the past year, I definitely had days where I let my circumstances steal uh, my joy and my peace. And 
I'm so glad that God is gracious and I'm thankful that his faithfulness does not depend on mine and he continues to work and bring about his will regardless of my failures. Um, and I'm just continuing, continuing to learn the value of resting in Christ. Looking back over the last year, we've asked you to pray for a lot of things and your prayer team did that and got answered in, in wonderful ways. One of them is looking for a house. We search for a house that would allow for us to be in a good place for ministry. And God brought us to this great place that's close to the park, close to the youth ministry, close to friends, close to the school where the kids go that we work with, and close to the new church building that hopefully we're going to move into next month and close to a lot of our teammates. So it's a really great location. We also asked you to pray for guys that I will be able to invest in spiritually and disciple. And there's five guys that I meet with regularly, almost every week. And uh, they are hungry to grow in their love for the word, in their spiritual disciplines. And one of them, actually, Danny, the one that I started meeting with the first, he will meet with two guys today for discipleship. So it's exciting to see that the guys that we are investing in are starting to look for other ways and other people to invest in disciples making disciples and this is what we pray for and are continuing to pray for we also ask for prayers for our kids as they adjusted and transitioned to life here and there were times where we wondered when we would see progress but uh, slowly and surely we've uh, noticed that things have been getting easier and sometimes it kind of slips up on me and I just realize, wow, we have way less hard days than we did six months ago. Or, hey, look, Ellis is starting to translate things into Romanian or from Romanian into English for his little brother. Or Emmerich's starting to sing along with Romanian kids songs. And um, I realize that Sundays don't feel quite so overwhelming as they once did. And um, just little things like that. They're interacting with kids more. We found a babysitter. And uh, that was a huge answer to prayer. And the boys keep asking when she's coming back. And um, it's just been good. We also had some difficult moments uh, that you prayed us through the loss of my grandpa and also the loss of my good friend and fellow missionary, Sue. And we've experienced loneliness and the adjustment of leaving our the friends and family we had in the States and trying to get established in a new community. And God is working. He's slowly growing the community around us and building friendships that are a blessing to us, and we're grateful. As we look forward for another year of life and ministry, we pray that God will continue to teach us and make us more dependent on Him. And we do praise God for you and so many others that are part of our team, because you encourage us and you pray for us and you enable us to do the ministry that God called us to do in Romania. So we want to say thank you for your generosity, for your love for our family, and for finding creative ways to show us that you care and that you are here with us. Thank you, and may God bless you. Thank you for cheering because I think they'll be watching and it'll be good to hear the clap and the encouragement. Just give a big amen so they can hear that all the way in Romania. Kiel, there we go. Thank you. We love you guys and look forward to seeing them back home with us sometime down the road. 
we've come into God's presence, we've went into the word together, we've come to the table, now it's our time to respond. Would you bow your heads with me and let's give him our best response and offering. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love through Christ. Thank you that, that you've given us a church that you're just doing amazing things around the world. Thank you that our map looks somewhat like Paul's map. But it's amazing what you're doing through here. Father, our offering, our first request is that um, none of us are ashamed of the gospel. We're doing some great things here, but we want every heart released. We want complete freedom to share the good news and be bold about it here because we have the cure in us. It's nothing we do. We just join you in what you're doing. So help us see everybody that's around us this week. Holy Spirit, talk to us on how to share the good news. Help us just be brave. Take the steps. Join a class, a small group that teaches, equips even better. Now we do that. We just trust you. Fathers, we give our back to you in our offering. Our tithes and offerings, our finances, they do. They impact Alyssa, Rizvan, our missionaries, everybody around the world. They impact this church to equip and send the saints out to share the good news. Let us give boldly, bravely, and, and generously because of what you're doing here. But Father, let us go out and share the good news because there's nothing more important than that. That's a huge step. Let's all do that. And for those in this room today that are hearing the good news, maybe for the first time or for the thousandth time, but have never grabbed onto that rope, Father, I pray today that they reach out and grab the hand of Christ and let us know. Write on a connect card, catch us after the service, whatever, let us know that I need to take this step to grab onto the rope to be rescued, saved, and set free. And don't leave here today without that. Father, bless this church. It's an amazing place, a very special place of light in this whole world. Let us rise up as an army and go out and love the world into life. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ and all God's people said.